Hi, this is James Mercer from The Shins. This is Shirley Manson. This is Low Tallest, co-founder of The Cure. This is Huey Lewis giving you the story behind the song. The story behind the song is back with an exciting second season. We peel back the layers on music's most iconic hits with legendary artists like The Killers, Heart, The B-52s, Violent Femmes, Jewel, Huey Lewis, Modern English, and more. To keep the music flowing, we'll be sprinkling in classic episodes from our archives between each new one. So check out the story behind the song wherever you get your podcast. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Consequence Podcast Network. Welcome to another edition of Kyle Meredith with. It's an audio interview series presented by WFPK Independent Louisville, Consequence of Sound, and the Consequence Podcast Network. Where are you listening from? Can you write a rating or review? I encourage you to do so. I'm Kyle Meredith. Today, my guest is Kate Pearson of the B-52s. It is the 40th anniversary of their very first recording. And you know that song, Rock Lobster. We get to talk about 40 years of the B-52s and that debut single. Also being publicly accepted in the 80s, the challenges of that, especially dealing with sexuality. We'll also jump into the 20th anniversary of their greatest hits, Time Capsule, and the new song that was part of that called Debbie. That's about Debbie Harry of Blondie. And we'll do the 10th anniversary of their album, Funplex, which just happens to be their most recent record. So what does the future of the B-52s hold? That's all in this interview. It's Kyle Meredith with Kate Pearson of the B-52s. Hi, Kate. How are you? Good. It's a pleasure to talk to you today. Thanks for doing this. Sure. I feel like we got a few things to talk about because there's there's a big anniversary, but there's also a couple small anniversaries with uh, Funplex being 10 years old and, and the Greatest Hits Time Capsule being 20, and I want to get to those. But I thought with it sort of being you know a 40th anniversary of your or first recording that we can start from the beginning. As I look back on 40 years of the B-52s, and especially 1978, I started thinking how amazing... The fact that this came out, um, you know, setting aside what Athens was, but that it came out of Georgia in the South, uh, the sound of the B-52s, you know, that you all found each other and, and found this sound. Does it does it strike you as kind of amazing <laughs> the type of band that you were were able to come out of that part of the country? Well, when I first moved to Athens, it was like a farmer's town. I mean, it's a university town, but, you know, at the same time, there wasn't like any kind of punk scene or new wave scene. It was just really Southern Boogie was king then. But, I mean, if you think of all the musicians that came out of Georgia, I mean, it's just like, whoa. You know, it's, it's really like a very, um, you know, music place. James Brown, and you name it, you know, there's so many musicians. So... I think, you know, the music tradition in Georgia, but it was really like disco and we used to crash this, this, this disco that was in Athens and we'd kind of, you know, be punks and we'd go in there and dance wildly. And, you know, there was really just the farmer's, there was a farmer's hardware and a seed and feed store. And it really wasn't like a, definitely not a music scene happening there. It was, uh, the university was very disconnected from the town too. 
So it was really a farmer's town. And when we started, we were influenced, of course, by punk stuff that was happening. The Sex Pistols came through and um, played in Atlanta. And someone, one of our friends bought Patty Smith's first single called Piss Factory and, you know, ordered it from a magazine. So, you know, it was kind of obscure, but we just, we related to that immediately. And Blondie and Talking Heads and Devo and everything that was happening. So there was a punk band in Atlanta, the only one called The Fans. And they were really the first band that kind of connected with that told us, hey, maybe you should go to New York City and play. And we're like, oh, oh, yeah, maybe that's a good idea. Maybe we, you know, our dream was maybe we could play in Atlanta. We really started the Athens music scene, I have to say. Yeah, right, right. <laughs> and it, it, people reacted when we went up to New York and played at Max's Kansas City. It was kind of like this disbelief, like you're from Georgia or maybe you're from England. That's what people thought. We were from England. <laughs> Art students from England and Sydney and I were drag queens and, you know. We're just so such an anomaly. It's so interesting. And having the sound that you all did, I mean, there was a new wave thing sort of happening and a lot of underground sounds. But what you all did was so unique versus everyone else, especially with the three vocals. I mean, listening back, they always seem so perfectly placed. And I feel like that could have so easily been disaster having that call and response happen so often. How did you all figure out that process or, or did that just sort of magically happen well that did just sort of magically combust because the template was set the first night we had a flaming volcano together in a hunan chinese restaurant and we we couldn't afford food so we got a drink and we shared it and they were six of us actually all of us in the band keith ricky cindy me fred and then our friend owen scott so he said let's go let's go to my house and hang out and his basement, he had a he was in a rock band that Keith sometimes subbed as the drummer called Zambo Flirt. So he went up to write a paper. He's a clinical psychologist now. And um, <laughs> the rest of us started jamming in his basement. And we wrote this song called Killer Bees. So the template of jamming was set that night where we were all like spontaneously jamming, playing at the same time, the three of us singing and Keith and Ricky playing instruments. And it turned out I had t- taken piano lessons and I was, um, you know, when I was in, in high school or junior high. So I um, I played guitar. So I wound up being playing the bass parts on a keyboard and the keyboard parts um, and some guitar. So, you know, other than that, the three of us were the vocalists. No one would have said, hey, let's start a band and let's have three vocalists. Like, it just sort of happened because that's the way we jammed. And we just kept that formula because it worked. It just clicked. Nobody said, let's form a band. Nobody said, hey, you know, let's get this band together. It just happened that night by spontaneous combustion. And, you know, we kept, you know, Fred told his friend that we had a band that she asked us to play at her Valentine's Day party. We hardly had any songs, but, you know, we had to, we had to own up to that party. So that's how we kept going. It is incredible. So, yeah, then the single Rock Lobster happens, and, and that's actually, I believe, the uh, the start of the official recording career, right? 40 years ago? Yes, our first show, official show, was in 1977, and the single came out, I guess, in 1978. But our friend Danny Beard, who accompanied us up to New York on our first trip up there, he started, he decided he would rec- you know, finance the recording of the single and start a record label called TB Records, and um, he... The, you know, he got the, the sleeves, and I remember him stuffing the records into the sleeves and sending them up to Bleaker Bob's in New York. And when we went up there, well, Bleaker Bob said he never got them and he never paid us, but 
we got to New York and he had a sing- our single all over the window. <laughs> and uh, that helped us a lot, though, I think, just, the, you know, the fact that they were selling in New York, we were playing there, and there was this, bu- this buzz because, you know, we just went up and we didn't have any publicity. We played in the CBGBs and we played Max's Kansas City first, and it created this buzz because it was very cooperative in that time. Like, we would, other bands would say, hey, there's a new band, check it out. It was like a small scene, so it wasn't like, you know, a competition. It was like, let's all, you know, see each other and kind of hang together, so it was a really fun scene up there in new york and we weren't we didn't stay very long we'd come up we'd play we'd stay you know on someone's floor or someone's apartment we'd go back to georgia write a couple more songs practice come up and play again so after you know months of doing that we started creating this real buzz so indie radio picked up on you know rock lobster which was really what really broke the band with a song like that, you know, and now, like I said, you know, New Wave is its own thing happening. It definitely sounds different than everything else. But were you ever worried about being taken seriously and, and not as a novelty as that song might first suggest? Well, you know, in truth, we didn't think about it. We did not even think about and We were not ambitious. We were just happy to play. We did it for fun. We wanted to dance. We wanted to create dance music. There was nothing to do in Athens. So, you know, we decided to start a band for fun. And it wasn't like we had, oh, my God, we got to get a number one hit or anything. It was just, you know, for our own pleasure. I mean, of course, we were thrilled that people loved it. And then we then we got more ambitious, at least to keep playing. But, you know, we didn't really think, of course, we thought this is a weird song. Are people going to like it? But people loved it. So yeah. we got this great reaction from our friends. We went up and played, and every time we played it, we got a great reaction. So it's like, wow, who knows why, you know? <laughs> but to me, it's really this incredible guitar lick, you know, combined with everything else. I mean, it's a great song and the unusual subject matter. But yes, that did kind of categorize us as a band that just so silly and we just do lists. You know, I've, I've read people saying, oh, well, they just, it's just a list. But it's more than a list. It's a list of incredible sea creatures and crustaceans. What right. more can you want? You know, right. with the fish sounds and everything. Um, and it's just incredible dance. It's got, you know, funny lyrics, you know, boys in bikinis, girls in surfboards. You know, rocking around the fire, having fun, baking potatoes, baking in the sun. I love the, uh, you know, pass the lifeguard. It's got a lot of gay references, and it's it's a very, you know, kind of sly, funny, dance, incredibly danceable song. So now I'm not surprised it was such a hit, but at the time, we didn't know, we didn't know how people would react. And I'll bring up something you brought up there because, you know, you all were so much a part of the 80s style, and, and the 80s had a great style. But there was the sexuality part of it. Um, and I, did you ever have a problem with mainstream acceptance? Because beyond the fashion, there was still heavy prejudices against sexuality. And, and I know that was sort of part of your story. Well, I think, you know, looking back at the time, I didn't, didn't put that into the equation. But looking back, I think now because there were men and women in the band, like front women and Fred, you know, and... <laughs> And it's obviously gay, and I think that really did work against us in terms of, not in terms of public acceptance, but I think in terms of radio play maybe or, um, you know, just the record company support. But I don't know. It just it seems like the taking being taken seriously part that could have played into it because we had a sense of humor too and there aren't many there aren't many bands that are musically serious but have a sense of humor lyrically and you know playful and yet have messages and you know we've always stood behind political causes 
and especially after Ricky died, we became very much more involved in, you know, trying to support political causes without hitting people over the head with political songs necessarily, although that's in our lyrics. So 10 years later, you get your first uh, greatest hits with Time Capsule. Uh, I think you toured with the Pretenders that year. There's a song called Debbie on it. Uh, that's about Debbie Harry, I, I read, right? Yes, yes, our hero. <laughs> well, when we were, um, we first came to New York, they invited us over to their apartment and they had all these gold records just stacked against the, the walls. You know, they hadn't hung them up at all. And it was just, it was amazing how casual they were and how great they were and how punk Debbie is. She's the coolest person ever. So we decided to write a song about her and there was a little twist at the end. And it's just that I really like that song. I'd like to play that live maybe during this tour. And and then I'll go. You know, it was uh, it was ten years further than that. Uh, Twenty uh, tw- two thousand eight, right? Funplex comes out. It was the first record in in sixteen years, and it's now your most recent record. I'd like to hit on that a little bit because what brought you together? Because sixteen years is a is a while to go, and and it's such a great, fantastic record that probably gets a little bit overlooked in your catalog. Yeah, I mean, I think we did that that record really for the fans who wanted new music. We, again, weren't thinking about commercial success that much because right when we put that out, that was exactly the time all the record companies were imploding. And, you know, we had people coming to support the tour saying, I, I think I'm your radio rep. I think I still have a job or from the record company. You know, so people didn't know what was happening. Things were really imploding. There wasn't any real support because things were just crashing. And, you know, but the record, you know, the tour was great. We love that record. And we, we sing, um, you know, Fun Flex in our, usually on our set list or pick at least one song from that. But it didn't get its due. That's true. But we did it for the fans more than for commercial success. And when people said, oh, it's been 15 years, none of us could believe it. It was time flew. I, I really didn't realize how much time had passed since the record before that. And I, I'm pretty sure, I'm pretty sure there's not going to be another full-length record by the B-52s, but we may be able to do a couple of songs, a couple of collaborations. We're hoping to do something, just a single here and there. That's possible. Because it's hard for us to come together. It's hard. We live in different places, and that was very difficult because we had to we all had to converge in Athens and Atlanta to write. And the way we write, by jamming and sort of collaging the pieces together, it's very time-consuming. But each time we met, we had a song. So we had to keep, you know, uh, flying down to Georgia, which is always great to be in Athens and Atlanta. And we recorded in, um, part of it in Athens, which is amazing. Well, I'm sad to hear there might not be another record, but it's exciting, uh, you know, because it just shows, especially with that record, how good you all still are together in the studio. So, the, you know, the uh, the chance at some more singles, at least, uh, I'll, I'll definitely take that. And compliments as I'm exiting here on that solo record that you put out a few years ago it, with maybe there not being another B-52s uh, album does the solo work uh, become front and center for you uh, in the studio? Well, I have the second one in the can, basically, um, and I'm hoping to release that and, and finish that when we finish our this tour. And I have songs that I had previously written when I was writing with Sia and, and writers that she worked with. And I've been writing with Chris Braid, who worked with Sia and a lot of other artists. He's a very uh, well-known writer, and he's a great singer, too. But <laughs> So I've, I've written 
over the winter a few more songs with him and also with Alex Sintek, who's a really amazing Mexican artist, very famous in Mexico. And we wrote a song about the wall. So that's uh, I'm hoping to release that. And Cindy has a solo album that she toured for this winter. Mm -hmm. And Fred released another solo record. So we're all working on that. But we can't seem to come together to do uh, another B-52s record. But that really depends on Keith Strickland, too. He's been the sort of driving force of... Because after Ricky died, he was the one that did all the instrumentation. And our sort of format changed a bit from maybe Keith and Ricky... Well, from Keith and Ricky writing the music or jamming while we all jammed to Keith really composing the soundtrack. And then the Keith, I mean, <laughs> Cindy and Fred and I would jam on the on the melodies and harmonies and lyrics. Um, and Fred's brought a lot of the lyric uh, titles, you know, like Private Idaho. And then we would, sometimes the title is the catalyst for, you know, everything else. But, you know, we all write together and it's really, it makes us unique. That's what makes us unique. Well, I, I love hearing what you all do. I am enjoying the solo records, uh, yours, Cindy's as well, and of course Fred's. Uh, thank you so much uh, for for allowing me this time with you today, and congratulations, forty years. Uh, it's it's pretty amazing, and it's been a lot of fun. Thank you, and thanks for having an independent radio station because that's what's very important right now to keep indie radio going. So please, everyone, support their independent radio station. Oh, I appreciate that. Thank you so much, Kate. Thank you. All right, All take right. care. Bye. Thank you so much to Kate Pearson of the B-52s for giving me the call today. They will be on tour throughout the country and the world all this year. Don't forget, you can subscribe to Consequence of Sound's YouTube channel to keep up with your favorite artists and interviews. For you podcasters, please do head over to iTunes or Podchaser. Uh, give us a rating or review, and I will so greatly appreciate you. Then head over to WFPK.org, where I do a show every Monday through Thursday from noon to 3 Eastern. I'm Kyle Meredith. I'll see you next time. Consequence Podcast Network. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.